0: We're in a series, The Recovery of Lost Joy, and a topic that doesn't get covered much. I don't speak on it very much, and that's probably an oversight, especially relating to the subject of joy, because I don't think we put these two things together. The topic is, remember the fruit-producing power of divine chastening. Remember, the fruit-producing power of divine chastening. And I'm looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, which is the classic passage, though I'm hoping to show you that it's dealt with in a lot of places in the Bible. It's not a side subject. It's not a light subject. It's covered quite extensively in the Scriptures, and it's amazing that it doesn't get covered extensively in our church's teaching. Hebrews 12, 5 to 11 The writer says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? That's a good question. Right off the bat, the text is telling us that there's a subject that it's very easy to forget that it's in the Bible. That's what he's saying. Are are you forgetting this? My son, do not regard lightly... The discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So there's two mistakes. One is you just don't think about it lightly, the other is you think about it and you get depressed and weary about it, like, oh man, this is going to be a rough thing. Don't make either of those mistakes. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, so there's there's people that know about chastisement and there's people who have been chastised and just didn't think about it. It's interesting. If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So far from making me question my heavenly father at times of chastening, the text says, no, no, this isn't to make you question it. This is to prove that you're his children. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? There's life in this. That's what it's saying. For they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Of course, they're fallible, they make mistakes. They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He, God, disciplines us for our good. It's always for our good, He doesn't make any mistakes that we may share his holiness. So now I see the goal of all of this talk of chastening. There's a goal here, holiness. We may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, so there's right at the moment, and then there's later. There's these two time words. When it's going on, there's nothing pleasant about it. But later, you, you see, oh, that's what God was growing. That's what God was doing. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields, so it's like growth. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. So it doesn't do this for everybody. That's another thought in the text. Chastening doesn't produce anything good for the person that doesn't respond to it properly. So there's what God does, chastening, and there's what I do responding to it and both factors are necessary for it to produce righteousness and holiness in my life. That's a quick flyover of the text and some of the big ideas in it. So it addresses the need to remember everything spoken in God's word. The quote starting with my son comes from Proverbs which the only scripture these people would have had would be the Old Testament and the message, not directly related to chastening, but the, the, the backdrop for everything is, you have to remember everything God says. And so it just says, have you, have you forgotten this? You know it's in the scriptures. Are you just not thinking about it, Don? We can talk about learning God's word and think of it like learning geography for an exam but there's a remembering of the things that the Bible says. And the plain teaching, the simple teaching of the passage is that some of the unpleasant things that happen to us, some of them, not all of them, but some of them are the result of God's work directly in my life. And so the writer, he looks at these Christians, they're experiencing tough times of persecution. We know that from other parts in the book of Hebrews. And the Christians are thinking, why, why, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? And in some cases, the text says, don't forget about the chastening of the Lord in all of your thinking and in all of your calculating. The text doesn't say everything bad is God chastening you. It doesn't say that. But it does say you need to remember what the Bible says and look into this. And then to make the point more strongly... After stating it positively, he states it in the negative form. In fact, the text says, if you don't experience any divine chastening of God, it's proof that you really aren't his child. Wow. So we look, I think, in North American Christianity right now in particular, we look at material blessing and physical blessing. There, that's proof that we are God's children. The writer says that chastening is also proof that we are God's children. And I have about four or five thoughts that I want to leave with you tonight. One, God's faith-building, purifying work in our lives increases in intensity after conversion. So the principle here is God doesn't finish his work in Don Horbin's life with my conversion. He, he's building something. He's working on things. There's a lot. There's a lot that has to be refined. There's a lot that has to be purified. I've got all sorts of self that keeps bubbling up to the surface. I've got my natural way of living, my natural quick responses to things. God wants to rebuild this person. It won't be complete until Jesus comes again, but the process is working. The primary goal is to make me holy. That's what God wants to do with me. So what he wants to do with you? Hebrews 12.10, he disciplines us for our good, and then the good is that we may share his holiness. And that theme, God chastening us, working for our good, and the good being holiness or Christ-likeness, that is not a one-time theme in the Scriptures. Philippians 1.6. Is that in your notes? Read it out loud with me, would you? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So the work in me, the work in you, it's just begun. There's a whole bunch of stuff God wants to do. Romans eight twenty eight twenty nine, 29, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Well, what's that purpose? What's he trying to do? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, that work gets carried out in a lot of different ways. Uh, He works through church, this right here. God works through this. He works through prayer. He works through his word. He works through listening to the voice of the Spirit and the inner prompting of conscience. But he uses other means to continue his work in my life. And I can turn a deaf... Sometimes I can turn a deaf ear to his instruction when he speaks, that still, small voice, and it's very easy just to say, I think that's just me. Especially if it's something I really don't want to do. I can get stubborn... And because God has a strong and an infinite love for me, he won't give up on me. He will adopt other means to do his work in my heart if I don't cooperate right off the bat. Revelation 3.19, here's the same thing again. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Amos 3.2, speaking of Israel, God speaks, you only have I known of all the families of the earth, You're special. Therefore, I will punish you for your iniquities. (laughs) I I care about how clean you are. I'm not not going after the Babylonians. I'm not going after the Assyrians, but I've chosen you, and I care about sin in your life, and I'm going to deal with it. Point number two. The text says he chastens us because he loves us. It's simple. It's in 12.6 of Hebrews. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastens every son whom he receives. Now, we don't, as a rule, just the culture broadly, we don't measure love by discipline anymore, I don't think. We measure love by giftings of personal pleasure, apparent blessing, but it's really just a sign of our immaturity. The church in North America has, at least to a large part, kind of taken its cue from the world around it. Worldliness, you see, isn't primarily defined by, you know, the old uh, uh, smoking and drinking and watching bad movies and whatever your list was. And I might be better off without all of those, probably would be. But worldliness in its chief essence is manifested in my wanting to have everything. I want to have everything the way I want it. Worldliness is me making myself the ultimate goal, pleasing myself rather than glorifying God through his son, Jesus Christ. And our whole society has kind of moved away from the value of discipline, correction, punishment, chastisement. You can see it in the world around you. It's interesting to stop and look back over your life. I was thinking about this this afternoon how my mother's hair turned gray with the four Horbin boys. I just penciled things. I can vividly remember the time Prince George, B.C., the four Horbin boys got slingshots and we fired a marble through Fire Inspector Chief Dornby's car window with a slingshot. I can remember the time we played in the those big rollers that have telephone cable on them and there was a yard that stored about 50 of those things right across the back alley. Our house had a back alley and that was right across the alley and we took the, the, the little bricks that held them in place and we rolled a bunch of them out into the street. I can remember when we took little putty knives and went into the sanctuary because the Parsons was joined to the church when we were supposed to be napping and we carved things on the back of the pew and dad caught us in there. I can remember when we made the wonderful discovery that if you wore rubber gloves and had a hanger, you could make sparks come out of the electrical outlets. I can remember when we were pretending we were plumbers and somehow all the toilets in the church got plugged up with little potatoes. I can remember when an abandoned shack in a field next door mysteriously burned to the ground on a famous Sunday afternoon when we were supposed to be in bed resting in our rooms. Those are different days, to be sure. My point is, my dad never once came up with the concept of offering us a time out. He never once questioned if we had a negative self-image or bad self-esteem. The principle of chastisement was vivid. I can remember after some of these events, and I'm not recommending, you know, I know it was a different era, so please, but I can just remember there were the stairs, came up the stairs and... One bedroom on the left and one bedroom on the right. My brother Ed and I shared this bedroom. My older brothers Peter and Paul shared this bedroom. And I can remember after we had done some of those things, I can remember Dad coming up the stairs. And it was just, it was the great white throne judgment. And he would go into my brother's rooms across the hall and we would hear weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and we knew he was coming into this room next I can remember stuffing comic books down the back of my pajamas, and when Dad found that, it just made things so much worse. The sounds that would emerge as he purged us of our wickedness. Again, I'm not here to argue about types of family discipline. That's not my point. But there is in all those silly stories... Most of all, I can remember hating chastisement. And it wasn't that he didn't love us. He didn't go after the neighbor's kids. We were his children. And things couldn't go that way in our lives. And here's the serious part. I have no idea. I have no idea how many things I avoided later on in life because of the great white throne judgment when my father would discipline us. Remember, old Slavic discipline came over as an immigrant. Not a lot of psychology in those days. He just hit for distance. <laughs> the point is, he, he did it as he knew how to do it. You know what I mean? Where was children's aid when you really needed them? You know what I mean? I can remember thinking there was nothing positive or loving or good in the whole process. I couldn't imagine any good ever coming out of it. That's the way small, immature minds think. The reason the subject of divine chastisement, it does need to be resurrected a little bit, even in our church, is that the whole idea no longer exists. We conflate love with tolerance... And slowly, that mindset has grown like a smog over a whole bunch of the church. God is loving. It's all we sing about, how loving, how gracious, how patient, how nice, how good he is. He just wants to hug us, and we hug him back. And there's chastisement sometimes. Everybody get what I'm saying? He does love us, but it's not an indifferent kind of... It's not a sappy love. It's a holy love. Point number three. God has different ways of chastising us. I got to hurry. A, through unpleasant circumstances. Here's a fundamental conviction for all who believe in the kind of God that's revealed in the scriptures the purpose of all circumstances, pleasant and unpleasant, The purpose of all the circumstances that come into my life, the purpose is to further my sanctification. That's why anything happens to us. God is so wise, so powerful, so insistent in his loving purposes that there is absolutely, listen to me, there is absolutely nothing that is ever going to happen to you for the rest of your life. That he can't use for your spiritual good if you will respond in faith and trust and commitment to him. Not one thing. Nothing separates us, nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You either believe that or you don't believe it. So, all of the circumstances, he chastises through unpleasant circumstances, bad things happen. They surely will. God takes all of those things together. I'm thinking Romans 8, 29. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That is, all things meaning all things, absolutely everything. It works together for good according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The text, Romans 8, 28, 29, does not say that everything that happens to Don Horbin is good. That's not what it says. What it says is there's a God who can take all the things together and work them for good. That's different. We had a birthday celebrated at our house just this past week, and Rini made just the best cake that anyone has ever made on the face of the earth in the history of cakes. And I had too much of it. You can (laughs) tell. And the amazing thing is how many of the ingredients that are in that cake, if you take them all by themselves, aren't good at all. If you just sat down and took a couple tablespoons of flour and just shove it in your mouth. How about some raw eggs? You know? But but if there's someone who knows how to work all those things together for something good, I think that's a perfect picture of what God does in our lives, even with chastening and unpleasant circumstances. We have a God who is all wise, all loving, and can work them together for good. i got to move on. B, sometimes we're led through physical suffering. Sometimes. I don't suppose anybody likes to talk about it very much, but it is dealt with in the Scriptures. I was looking at Psalm 119, 67, 71. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I keep your word. It it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Here's one that we read frequently during communion services. 1 Corinthians 1127 27 to 32. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy matter will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread, drink the cup. For anyone who eats, drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged but when we are judged by the Lord, listen, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. It's chastisement. That certainly doesn't mean, don't anybody leave this sanctuary saying, Don Horbin said, every time a person is sick, they're being chastised. That's not what I am saying. Jesus made that perfectly clear. But, there are times when God wakes up a slumbering heart through those kinds of trials. When that comes upon you, at least pray and seek his plan. And at the same time, don't put yourself under unnecessary condemnation. If God is chastising me for something, he will let me know that. He will let me know that. See. Sometimes he withdraws his manifest presence from our lives. You can see it in the scriptures. I was looking at Hosea 5, 6, and then 15, just to shorten it. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. 15, I will return again to my place, until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress earnestly seek me. I think all of us have found things like that in our own experience where God, the, the, the phrase is in the scripture, He hides his face, and he does it so that I will feel his displeasure more keenly. I will miss his presence in my life and maybe trace it to why is this happening? What's what's going on? Where am I missing something? You feel his displeasure with his absence. You become aware of spiritual drifting that you might not sense otherwise. God loves us too much to allow us continue too long in a spiritual coma. He, he works sometimes in my life by creating a spiritual loneliness. Why have you hid your face? Responding properly to chastening. And take note of that word, responding. The benefits from God's chastening are not automatic. There's what God intends in his chastening love, and there's the human factor. There's my response. God's goal, we know, because we've been told in his word. Hebrews 12.10, he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So here's what we know for sure. It's what we must hold on to while the storm of circumstances kind of rages around us. God's revealed what he's up to. His motive is love. His goal is holiness. And that's usually all we'll know at the moment of trial. You don't get the full picture. But the writer doesn't just talk about what God is up to. There's a type of response that is called for on my part. And here's what I want to close with. First, there are some things you must not do. You can see it in Hebrews 12, 5, and 6. Have you forgotten the exhortation? Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary when reproved by him. Those three things. The writer points to a passage from the only Bibles these Christian people would have. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 reads, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So whether they had totally forgotten it, or, or maybe like us, could be just in danger of never thinking about it. He tells them, God has a word for them that they're not to forget. They're to remember it. So here's the life lesson. Everything hinges on taking God's word to heart regularly. For God's chastening grace to be fruit-producing in Don Horbin's life, I have to look at it in God's way rather than mine. If I don't, nothing good's going to happen. I must see God's goal for my whole life, my sanctification, to make me holy. God, here's my belief God sends, not just allows, sends. I think God sends recessions so Christians learn to not rely on their wealth. I think He does. I think God has all sorts of things that happen in this world. Whether you agree with that statement or not isn't the important point. The important point is God has all sorts of circumstances that he works. He's a sovereign over all of creation. And he works all sorts of things to help me to remember that my life has to be anchored in him. There's nothing else reliable here. But I have to bring that perspective to his chastening work if it's going to be effective. So not to ignore, to remember the word. Second thing, the writer says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. I get it. You and I aren't always sure whether the season we're in is somehow God's doing or just the random mess. It's just a bad day or a bad week. I get it. My point is, The attitude should be the same. The attitude should be the same. We're to ponder what God might be doing in our lives if we respond properly to these circumstances. We're to be giving due thought to what we know are the revealed divine goals of God's children in this world. The Christian has to constantly be on guard against an impersonal view of life in this world. Three last thing. We're not to be weary when reproved by him. That's in verse 5. And notice how he expands on this so powerfully in the following verses. For the moment, so here's 11, Hebrews 12, 11, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later. So you have to have patience, Right? Later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, I didn't read this at the beginning, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. In case you've forgotten, this is a series on the recovery of lost joy. And the joyful part is this knowing that God is so sovereign, so loving, so gracious, that in all of my life, things pleasant and things unpleasant, nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He will use everything in my life to make me more like Jesus if I respond according to his word. So I like the way he says, so lift those drooping hands. This is not a negative thing. This is God working his will and pleasure through all the pleasant and unpleasant circumstances. I don't know if you knew this. Unpleasant things can happen to Christian people. And you need to have a theology that's big enough for them. That's what this is about. And everyone said...